Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and we thank you so much, so much for the free gift of salvation that you've given to each one of us who call upon your name. And I pray, Father, as we break open your word this morning, that it would speak to our hearts, encourage our souls, and direct our path and our ways, that we would follow hard after you. And so, Father, come by your Holy Spirit and minister to where our need is, that only your Holy Spirit can. We ask and pray this in Jesus, Yeshua's name. Amen and amen. We are in Leviticus chapter 10, picking up with verse 1. This portion has a kind of a, a, a tragic beginning, but we'll get to that in a moment. Because this whole portion is, is talking about those who offer unauthorized fire to God. And I believe that what happened is, if you recall last week, they offered the sacrifice, the glory of God appeared and consumed the sacrifice, and all the people fell down and worshipped. It was just a wonderful experience. And I think what they were doing is they wanted to repeat that. You know, hey, let's do this, and maybe we'll get that same kind of glory come. The only thing is, rather than the fire consuming the sacrifice, it consumed them. And we'll find out why in a moment. Because we have to be willing to just allow God to work in His time and in His way. We can't motivate or push God into acting a certain way. He does what He does. And so we have to just say, Lord, here I am. Use me. And it also seems that um, man is always wanting to duplicate the things of God rather than allowing God to keep doing what He does. Because... If God did something this way in this situation, it doesn't mean he's going to do the same thing in this situation. He might do something completely new. We can't control the Spirit of God. All we are to do is to obey, to follow, and to serve him. That's our task. You know, he is our heavenly boss. And as good employees, we just simply do what he tells us to do. You know, not trying to figure it out on our own. And um, you have that, for instance, in the, in the faith movement that has gone through the church. I think maybe a lot of it has run its course. But the faith movement was, there are principles. This is what they actually used to say. There are principles that God is bound to. And if you do this, then God has to do that. God doesn't have to do anything. God does what is best for us. And you even had those who were men who thought that they had the power to give the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Anyone who wants the Holy Spirit, anyone who wants gifts of the Holy Spirit, come forward. Who are you? Only God gives gifts of the Holy Spirit. You know, if I have a gift to give to one of my grandsons or to give to my wife or someone, I don't want someone else to give it. I want to give it to them. God is the one who is the giver of all gifts. And God is able to give gifts beyond what we can even think or imagine. All we have to do is be willing servants. What a a beautiful piece there is into just believing and thinking, God, here I am. Use me. That's it. I have no pretense. Just, Just use me. And that's what we're going to be looking at as we go into chapter 10, verses 1 through 7. Then Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it, put incense on it, and offered profane fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. 
And you might be thinking, well, what is that? The fire that they were to put into the censer in order to burn, burn incense, which represented prayer before God, they were supposed to take from the altar of sacrifice. They were supposed to take some of the ashes and some of the hot coals and then take it in and offer the incense. They used different fire. They were thinking, hey, why don't we just use this as a fire to put in the incense? Well, it was profane. It wasn't profane because it came from some dirty place. It was profane because they went against the command of God. God provided a way. The altar of sacrifice, what was it for? The sacrifice for sin. And it's only through the sacrifice for sin when we take our our, our confessions to the Lord and he forgives us that now we have the freedom to come before him in the purity of holiness to worship and to praise and and to pray to him. That's why the ashes and the coals from the uh, altar of sacrifice were to be used. But they thought they had a better way. Two, verse two. So fire went out from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. And Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke, saying, by those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy, and before all the people, I must be glorified. In other words, how are we going to glorify God? By obeying him. Now, there is a difference. In fact, in the next chapter, uh, in the next service, we're going to find out, actually the same chapter, but in the next service, we're going to find out that Aaron's two other sons also didn't do exactly what God wanted them to do, but they weren't consumed. And people think, well, what was the difference? In this case, these people, they knew what God wanted them to do. They knew it, but they wanted to do it their way. They wanted to do something different, and therefore God came and consumed him. And so there's a difference between you and I when we kind of flub up and make mistakes and we're just not, you know, we're kind of clumsy in what we're doing. There's a big difference between that and saying, I know what God wants, but I'm not going to do it. I'm going to do it my way. I want to worship God, but on my terms. It just doesn't work that way. And Nadab and Abihu found that out. Now, so Aaron held his peace, and um, then Moses called um, Mishael, Elzaphan, the sons of Uziel, the uncle of Aaron, and he said to them, Come near, carry your brethren from before the sanctuary out of the camp. So they went near, and they carried them by their tunics out of the camp. They couldn't touch their dead bodies. They'd They'd be defiled. As Moses said, and Moses said to Aaron and, <clears throat> and Eleazar and Ithamar, his sons, Do not uncover your heads, nor tear your clothes, which was a sign of great mourning. There's, you know, Aaron's sons and their brothers had just been consumed. And he's saying, Don't mourn. Don't mourn. Uh, and he says, Lest you die and wrath come upon all the people. Why? Because that would, if they started mourning and crying and weeping, it would be like they were undercutting what God did. God was speaking. And he said, they did not glorify my name. And this is a discipline. So they'd be going against the discipline of God, saying, it's not right. You know. Well, God does what he does out of love. And um, the thing we have to realize, especially when we're looking at portions like this, is that God sometimes acts what we see in a very harsh way, but it's for the purpose of his spirit being able to move in a pure way through the rest of the church. 
And we're going to find out later on why I absolutely do not believe they went to hell. I think they just died because of their disobedience, but we'll get to that in a moment. Okay. So they went near and carried them. Okay, I already said that. Verse 6. And Moses said, did I already do that one too? Yep. Uh, but let your brethren, the whole house of Israel, bewail the burning which the Lord has kindled. You shall not go out from the door of the tabernacle of meeting lest you die. For the anointing oil, uh, oil of the Lord is, is upon you. And they did according to the word of Moses, wouldn't you? Now, understand, they weren't glorifying God. That's the reason that the fire came out and consumed them. Because if you're going to glorify God, you're going to do things as he's commanded. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, I was in the military, and if you had a commanding officer come to you and say, do this or that, you said, well, I'm going to do it a little bit different way. It wouldn't go well with you at all. But the point is, you would be showing disrespect for your leader. Well, we have a leader over us. His name is Yahweh, God. And all of his commands, all of his orders are perfect. And so if he gives us a command and we say, no, I'm going to do it my way, it's disrespectful. You're, you're not glorifying his name. As a matter of fact, you're profaning his name. They brought profane fire. Now, this tragic account just came right after that glorious day. They just had their day of dedication, the day before this, when God showed up in all of his glory and consumed the sacrifice and all the people fell down and worshiped and praising God. You had this glorious day, and then this happens. And I think, how often does that happen to us? Right after we have a great victory with the Lord, hallelujah, then we end up doing something crazy. You know, just think of uh, Joshua. And here they are, they go to um, Jericho, and here's this city that's, there, there's no way anyone can, can t- you know, enter this city. It had these huge walls around it, you know, and the walls were wide enough that chariots could run side by side. And here you have this band of, you know, nomads, these Israelites, coming against this great walled city because they went before the Lord, and the Lord said, this is yours, I'm handing it into your hands, take it. And so... We all know the account. They marched around the city, you know, seven times in the walls. And you know the song, the walls came tumbling down? That's actually not correct because archaeologists have found, actually have found the old city of Jericho. And guess what? The walls didn't fall down. They were pushed into the ground. These huge walls were just pushed into the ground. Well, how could anyone do that? God. God can do whatever he wants. And He pushed them into the ground, which allowed them to go in, and they had this great victory. And then someone said, well, look at this little town of Ai over here. You know, that's just this little squirrely town, not many people in it, not many fighting men. Hey, let's go take that. They didn't inquire of the Lord. The Lord never told them to take it. And so they go in, and guess what? They were turned around and defeated and pushed away. Why? Because in defeating Jericho, it was God's command, and they did it God's way. In their defeat at Ai, they were doing it their way, according to their will. There's a lesson for you and I. 
If God be for us, who can be against us? So we have to understand, God better be before us in whatever we're doing, or we're just spinning our wheels in the sand, and all we're going to do is dig deeper and deeper in our own problems. We need to be open for the Lord to speak to us. Because the presumption and arrogance of Nadab and Abihu is frightening in view of God's clear command. He gave them clear commands. In Exodus chapter 19, verse 12, it says, Even the priests who approach the Lord must consecrate themselves, or the Lord will break out against them. They knew that. <clears throat> and yet, they had their own idea of how they were going to offer incense and fire to the Lord. And it didn't work out well. In Hebrews uh, chapter 10 and verses 28 and 29, it says this, How much more seriously do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctifies him and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? So even in the New Covenant, even in the New Testament, even in the church age, we have to understand there are certain commands God has given, and we're not supposed to treat it in an unholy way. Like we have communion today. I think it's a perfect uh, introduction to communion, this whole teaching. Because, you know, this is a sacrament that God has given the church. And it's a beautiful sacrament. It's not anything magic, you know, but it is a beautiful sacrament. It is a representation and it is also a testimony of our heart when we take this communion together. In other words, we are saying, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sin. I believe that his blood sanctified me and purified me. And I believe Jesus ascended into hell, took the cat, set the captives free, and ascended, descended into hell, and then ascended up to heaven, leading this great train and giving us the victory that all who call upon his name because of his bloody sacrifice, we can go to heaven. It's a beautiful thing. And so communion, even though you know, we don't try to make it some big mystical thing, which it's not, it's just a practical thing that we do that is a reminder of what God has done for us, we have to do it in reverence and in the heart of love. And we're going to be reading a portion in Corinthians that shows the seriousness of it. So the reality is, that we have to realize that those who try to make some kind of... You know, and I told you about this before, and I'm sure the, the guy did it in, in ignorance and this and that, but there was a youth pastor years ago, and he had his youth group together, and he wanted to do communion with them, so he used Fritos and Pepsi. No, I don't agree with that. I think it's um, personally, I think it's making a profanity of the communion that God has given us. You know, he used unleavened bread, we use unleavened bread. He used the fruit of the vine, his was fermented, ours isn't, but we have the fruit of the vine. And we take it for a purpose. And it's not to just try to be cool. In fact, we're trying to be humble. God, you did it all, you did it for me. Consider Adam. And there couldn't have been a clear instruction from God. In fact, in Genesis chapter 2, in verses 16 and 17, And the Lord God commanded the man, Adam, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may eat freely. So here you have this garden. We don't know how many trees were in there, but probably thousands of trees. And he said, You can eat freely from any of these trees. But 
of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Talking about spiritual death. Isn't that amazing? There couldn't have been a clearer command. Now what I find, I mean, maybe it's really not humorous. Things are humorous to me, but I find it very interesting. That um, in verse 16, which is the very, I mean, verse 18, which is the very next verse in this portion of Genesis where the Lord commanded Adam. In verse 18 it says, And the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. (laughs) He He gives Adam this command, Don't eat of that tree. Don't eat of it. Then he gives him a wife. Now understand, I'm not blaming the wife. Although Adam didn't eat of it, she did. And Corinthians makes it clear it wasn't Adam. But anyway, the, 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 the point I'm getting at is that man was, he was just as responsible. You know why? Because he was there. It tells us the man was there. And then when Eve gave him some to eat, what did he do? He ate of it. And the point I'm getting at is sometimes when we have one or two people together, they can kind of talk each other into things that maybe they shouldn't. You know, the serpent tempted Eve, it tells us. And he gave her all these wonderful things about the fruit if she eat of it. And she was tempted, and she ate of it. And then she gave it to her husband Adam, and he ate also, because he was worshiping Eve more than he was God. And so there is a situation, whether it's two males, two females, a male and female, when, when we're together, it's easy for us to take our focus off of what God has said and kind of talk ourselves into other things. We can't do that. We must not do that. And I find it worth noting that at the very beginning of the sacrificial system, it's the beginning of the sacrificial system, <clears throat> we have the death of Abihu and Nadab. You have a death. And at the very beginning of the church, you also had the death of Ananias and Sapphira. Now, I'll be reading a little bit of it in just a moment, but what happened is the beginning of the church, and people were selling property, and they were selling, uh, you know, valuables that they had, and they were bringing the money that they received from selling their property or valuables and laying it at the feet of Peter for what reason? That he might distribute it to the poor. And everyone was so blessed to see the generosity of all these people. So Ananias and Sapphira, they wanted to have the praise of all these people that were making an offering to the Lord. And so they agreed together. We'll go and we'll sell a portion of our land. And we will say we received this much for it, but we'll only give half. We'll say we're giving it all, but we're only going to give half. And so they went in. And they laid it before the feet of Peter. And, of course, the Holy Spirit came upon Peter. And Peter said, is this the full amount? Well, yes, it is. And Ananias fell down dead. And then later on, his wife comes in, not knowing that they had carried her husband away. And Peter said to her, Sapphira, is this the amount you received, the full amount you received for the lamb? And she said, yes. She said, the feet that carried your husband out are now coming in to carry you out. You have not lied to man, but to the Holy Spirit. And she fell over dead. Wow. So at the beginning of the sacrificial system, beginning of the church age, you have this dramatic demonstration of God's you know, command to be obedient to him. 
And to not just take what he says lightly and for granted. But I believe in both cases, though, I don't believe they went to hell. I believe that they probably went to paradise or the bosom of Abraham. I don't think they went to hell. And I'll tell you why. If you turn to Acts, I'm sorry, to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 with me. And just before I read this in 1 Corinthians 11, just just think about this. It might seem like why were Nadab and Abihu punished so severely by the Lord? But consider what it tells us. They offered profane fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded. I mean, here... Was supposed, it was supposed to be this pure, holy, lovely, innocent thing, and they offered profane fire. No wonder the Lord broke out against them. But if you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, go to verse 29. And this is in relationship to communion. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the, the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. In other words, they're dead. For uh, if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. You know why? We don't ever do anything wrong. We have reasons for everything we do. What they do is wrong, and they have no excuse. But for us, we have reasons for what we do. And that's what that verse is talking about as far as judging um, you know, ourselves. Verse 32. But when we judge, we are chastened by the Lord. Why? Why? That we may not be condemned with the world. So in other words, they were judged, but they weren't condemned with the world. How's the world condemned in the last days? When Jesus Christ comes back and he judges the world. They're not going to be condemned with the world. In other words, they'll be with the Lord. So their error led to their death, their disobedience, Their pride led to their physical death, but it doesn't mean that their soul was cast in hell. In fact, this tells us that they wouldn't be condemned with the world. And so, many might think, this is so severe. Well, the thing the Lord is showing us is sin is serious. Sin is serious. It was severe judgment. Because he was trying to, right off at the beginning of the sacrificial system and right at the beginning of the church age, because it tells us when Ananias and Sapphira died, it said great fear came upon the church. The word for fear there in the Greek isn't like, ah! The word for fear is like, whoa! It's a reverent kind of fear. And fear came upon the whole church. You know what? You don't play around with the things of God. They're very serious. That's the fear that was being talked about there. And um, so we have to understand that if God didn't condemn sin, the sin of these people disobeying him, then what's the purpose of the law? If you're not going to be condemned, if there's no judgment for sin, why have the law? Why did Jesus need to come? Hey, if we're not going to be condemned for sin, why does Jesus have to come and suffer and die on our behalf? But there is judgment for sin. In the Old Covenant... God provided a sacrificial system that a person, and it wasn't the sacrifice itself, it was the person's heart. 
the sacrifice could be given in faith to make an atonement for sin. And of course, in the new covenant, we have Jesus Christ who died for sin once and for all. And anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved from what? Sin and death. This is the promise of God. And so we have to realize um, there were at least two reasons why Moses told Aaron and his other sons not to, to grieve, not to react to God's judgment. And the first was that the anointing of the Lord was still on them, and they must fulfill the work of the ministry. And he's also pointing out you can't put family before ministry. All through Scripture we have that. When Jesus called his disciples, they didn't go home and say, Hey, uh, just a minute, Jesus, i got to go home and have a family vote and see what they think about me following you. When Jesus called, they went. We can't put family first. There are obviously certain things that we find in Scripture in the organization of the family that we have to stay in obedience to. But the thing is, God always becomes, comes before family. We must not love our wife, our children, our friends, our mothers, our fathers. We must not love them more than we love the Lord. Remember, it tells us that the Lord said he called someone and the guy said, well, let me go f home first and bury my father, and then I'll follow you. And a lot of people say, well, why wouldn't he let him bury his father? His father wasn't dead. What the guy was saying, let me go home and take care of my father and be with the family until my father dies, then I can come follow you. And Jesus said he, he got no reward. And so we have to be willing to love Jesus above all else. And also, second, it shows... The outward sign of mourning would show that these people disapproved with the judgment of God. What God does, he does out of love for each one of us. Whether it be good or whether it be bad. You know what I'm saying? Like when you're playing uh, sports, like when I used to play football, and the coach would say, hey, nice hit, Thomas. That was great. And when the coach would say, you idiot, how'd you miss that block? <laughs> that was also good. Because it was all instruction from the Lord. I mean, from the coach, not the Lord. He, was, he, he thought he was Lord, but it was, it was also instruction from the coach. You know what I'm saying? And so we have to realize that when God gives us encouragement, praise his name. How wonderful it is to encourage us to continue on in the right way. But when he gives discipline, we also have to praise him because it's showing us what we need to do. And so this portion of Scripture even though it might seem somewhat harsh and, and difficult, it's so plain and easy to understand when we see it through the eyes of the Holy Spirit and how it speaks to us, to you and I, as his church. Because, brothers and sisters, we have a responsibility because what have we been talking about the past few weeks? What are we told in Scripture? That you and I are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God to declare his praises. We are his priesthood. And so therefore, we have to make sure as believers, we don't offer unauthorized fire. And that we have to not be profane, but be pure before the Lord by saying, God, show me my way. If there be any wicked way in, in me, reveal it to me. That's what it means to love Jesus. And he gave us communion for that very reason. And... Um, 
I think the Lord's table is such a beautiful gift from God because he said, do this in remembrance of me. As often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, do this in remembrance of me. And who is better to remember than Jesus? I mean, I re- to remember what Jesus did. Every sin I've ever committed, every sin that I shall commit in the future has been forgiven and washed clean by the blood of the Lamb. If we confess our sin, He is faithful. He is just to forgive us our sin and purify us from all unrighteousness. What can be better than that? More awesome than that. And in the portion of Corinthians that we read, and it says anyone who takes the communion in an unworthy manner, that wasn't meant to make you guys be thinking, should I take communion or not take communion? No, all it's simply meaning to us is confess your sins. You know, and, and so as we're passing out the communion, one of the things I always do and I encourage others to do, use it as a time of confession, going before the Lord. And, and confession isn't only saying, Lord, I'm sorry for what I did. Confession is also saying, Lord, you only are worth being glorified in worship. You alone I want to follow. That's also part of confession. Because then we're taking in the promise of God. And what a beautiful nourishment of the Holy Spirit it is. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name and we thank you for your word and the way it speaks to our heart. We thank you for um, the communion that we share together because it speaks to us of what you have done on our behalf that we might have eternal life. We thank you, Father, that our sins have been forgiven. They've been taken from us as far as the east is from the west. You remember them no more. And you give us the promise that one day we'll share this communion with you in heaven and how we long for that day. And now, Father, prepare our hearts and our souls and our body that we might just completely surrender ourselves to you as we participate in this communion together. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. The Lord Jesus Christ, on the night he was betrayed, he took the cup and said, in my blood is the new covenant. He took the bread and he said, this is my body which is sacrificed for you. Everything that Jesus has done since creation has been for us, including his sacrifice on the cross. And for no other reason than love. Just consider the fact that Jesus loves us so much that he desires to have communion and fellowship with us all the time. And how thankful we should be. So take this cup of his sacrifice and the bread of his body that he laid out there for you and I and eat and drink and be so thankful for what God has done. Thank you, Lord, for your sacrifice. Thank you for giving us, giving us this communion to remind us of all that you've done for each one of us. And I pray, Lord, that we would just recognize you. And the only thing we would offer to you would be pure and holy. And now, Father, come, anoint, and continue using us to serve you, the living God, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you, my dear friends.